1, Daniel chapter number 1. While you're turning there in your Bibles, I want to just share a couple things with you. Number one, visitors, if you guys have got a few minutes after church, I would love to get a chance to talk to you, meet you, know a little bit more about you. If you could just come down front, I've got a basket I'd love to give you. Um, if you can, I understand timing sometimes matters if you leave the blue card out on the table, but I really would love it if you'd have just a few minutes to bring the card down. Let me have a chance to just talk to you guys. Um, so you have your card. Let's look at that real quick this morning. I'm not going to go over what we read in John this week. We have been, but you know, we started three weeks ago together. God just gave me a plan. I can tell you it's six weeks, and this is we're going into week four. I never question what God gives me because it doesn't matter. I just have to trust what he gives me. So week one was we wanted to do something together, and that is read the Gospel of John together. And we started on Monday morning, um, the three weeks ago, in reading John chapter 1. So today, we would have read chapter 21. We would have finished the book, the Gospel of John, today to do something together. For week two, we read one chapter of the Gospel of John, and then it was to pray together every morning. Just something simple, just something to get your day started. And for a lot, it's just a little addition to. For some, it's starting something new. It's actually helping to begin to learn to read the Bible daily. Listen, if we believe the Word of God, we need to read the Word of God. It's just that simple. And, and we can't live what we haven't read and what we don't know. So we, we wanted to say a prayer. And if you remember, the first number one is to give God praise. God's always worthy of our praise. Every prayer ought to be open with praise, with thanksgiving. And then the next was ask God to forgive us of our sins, for we're all sinful creatures. I know you don't think like I do, thank God. But God forgive me of every evil thought, every evil deed, every evil imagination, thoughts that go through our minds. And we wanted to ask that God give me something specific to do for you. This day, this past week, we added one more to it. Read the Gospel of John, a little short prayer. And then, then I ask, if you would, to pray for three specific things. I have no doubt in my mind God has already shown somebody something. I believe there are some specifics in here that have already been answered. But I believe if we continue to pray that God, I believe in a specific God. I believe in specific prayers. But if you remember, there's three specific things, but one of them had to be for somebody else. We've not began to pray until we pray for others. So that was our challenge just this past week. So we're going to add week number four is on the back of your card. This week, I want you to select one person a day to pray for. When you get up in the morning, if, if, ask God to give you one person. Whoever God puts on your heart, I want you to pray for that person. And then I want you to send them a text or a message or something. Just let them know. It's just an encouraging thing to know that somebody prayed for you this morning. Somebody walked into the throne room of Almighty God on your behalf and made intercession for you. That, that's an encouragement to me. That's an encouragement to others. So I want you to pick one person every day this week and pray for them. But you notice it still says for week one, read one chapter a day in the book of John. You know what that means? In the morning, John chapter one. But we just read John. No, no, no. In the morning, John chapter one. If you didn't finish, it's okay. It's okay. If you read two of the 21 days, it's, it's okay. This isn't to beat you up. This is number one to help all of us be encouraged to have a daily Bible read, just a little short something, be encouraged to pray. But this is something God's given us for us all to do together. I promise you God's doing something here. So in the morning, it's John chapter 1. If you haven't finished, then it's okay. Just back up and, and try to finish it this time. Don't read ahead. Try not to fall behind. John chapter 1. One chapter a day. So the question might be, why John? I bought a book this week. I ordered it last Sunday. Came in Tuesday, Gospel of John. It's just a commentary. Dr. John Phillips says he's a, received his doctor of ministry degree from Luther Rice Seminary. Served as assistant director of Moody Correspondent School. Director of Emmaus Correspondent School. One of the world's largest Bible correspondence ministries. He also taught on the Moody Evening School and on Moody Broadcasting Radio Network. A little bit about him. I've looked at some of his other books before. Um... A lot, a lot of wisdom. I just want to read you the preface of this book. Why, why John? I mean, 66 books in the Bible. Why would God give me John? Why, why is that the book? Well, number one, if I lead somebody to the Lord, I truly believe they need to begin reading the Word of God. And it's always my encouragement to start in the New Testament. Preferably, if you need a place, start with the Gospel of John. It's just a good place to start. When you finish it, read it over. But let me just tell you, just real quick, the preface says, His brother James was dead. Peter, the leading apostle to the Jews, dead. Paul, the intrepid apostle to the Gentile world, dead. Thomas, Andrew, Philip, Nathaniel, all the apostles, dead. All except one. 
There in Ephesus lived a lonely old man, the first and the last of the apostles, the great apostle to the church, and his name was John. He'd lived through a marvelous time. In the days the, the Son of God had become the Son of Man, he had been incarnated at Bethlehem, baptized in the Jordan, tempted and proved sinless in the wilderness. He had healed the sick, cleansed the leper, raised the dead, made the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak, and the lame to walk. He turned water into wine, walked on the waves, fed the hungry multitudes with a handful of bread. He had taught God's truth in a pungent, memorable way. He had been love incarnate, God manifest in the flesh. He had been betrayed, falsely accused, manhandled, mauled, and crucified. He had been buried but risen in triumph from the tomb. He had ascended into heaven, and John had his sure word for it that he's coming back. All these memories lingered in John's heart. The innermost thoughts of this very old man. John was Jesus' human cousin, and for some three and a half years, he was his best friend. John knew the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, as did no other person on earth. Enormous changes had taken place. The terrible Jewish war with Rome had brought an end to Jerusalem as the Jewish capital. The burning of the temple, the, the beginning of another long exile for the Jews, all heralded in a new dispensation. Undaunted and bitterly hostile still toward their rejected Messiah, the Jews had taken all this in stride. There was to be no temple, no sacrifices, no capital city, no homeland, no king but Caesar. Exiles and strangers in alien lands, the Jews nonetheless would survive, nursing their rejection of Jesus century after century in the hope of a later return of their ancestral home and a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. On earth, a new entity had arisen, the Christian church. It had been born in the Jewish annual festival of Pentecost in a crowded upper room in Jerusalem just 10 days after the bodily ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven. John had been there. The Holy Spirit had come like a mighty rushing wind, like cloven tongues of fire. The disciples had been baptized into one body, a mystical body, the body of Christ, the church. John had known all the apostles, all the disciples, all the early members of the church. He's a charter member, and now he's the last one left. He'd seen the church grow from 120 to over 3,000 in a single day. He'd seen it take root and spread until now near the end of the first century as branches were reaching into all the world. No living man knew the story better than he. All the books of the New Testament were written except his own gospel, three short epistles, and a remarkable apocalypse. Three gospels, the book of Acts, Paul's epistles, the general Hebrew epistles, all in circulation. Doubtless John was at home with them all. So why write another gospel? His friend and colleague Matthew had written such a masterpiece. John Mark knew him well, had given a precise account of Peter's preaching. Luke had written a Christian classic. So why was the Holy Spirit urging him to write? Because so much is still unsaid. The other Gospels dealt primarily with Galilee, but what about the work of Christ in Judea? The other Gospels prepared the hearers for the kingdom of heaven. But what about the deeper mysteries that Christ had taught? Many of those mysteries indeed had subsequently been revealed to Paul. But what about their origins in Christ's teachings? Matthew had written primarily for the Jews, Mark for the Romans, and Luke for the Greeks. There was a desperate need for one more gospel record. Someone needed to write for the church. Yes, there is indeed a need for a fourth gospel. Three more epistles and one apocalypse. Only John remained with the knowledge, experience, and apostleship to write them, and so he did. Rising magnificently to the occasion, he wrote out his gospel out of personal experience, out of memory, quickened and clothed in inerrancy by the Holy, in inerrancy by the Holy Spirit. As a result, we have in our hands the gospel according to John, a priceless document written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that believing you might have life through his name. One more paragraph. The moment that we pick up John's gospel, we're aware that it's different from the others. There's no genealogy, no manger scene, no boyhood, no baptism, no temptation, no mount of transfiguration, no Gethsemane. There's only a few special miracles chosen by John as signs. We have the famous I am sayings of Jesus and the many discourses found nowhere else. There are no scribes, no lepers, no publicans, and no demoniacs. There's no parables. It would almost seem as, as others have pointed out that John sits with the copy of Luke's gospel open before him, deliberately leaving out the things that Luke puts in and putting in the things that Luke leaves out. Luke had written to show that Jesus was indeed the Son of Man. John is writing to show that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. John is a very different book. 
there's a reason that Jesus would give, that God would give us this to do together. So my challenge is simple. You have your card. You have your card. God can do something special in us, with us, and through us. If we'll just read his word. We're going to read John chapter 1 in the morning. You think, I've already read John chapter 1. Let me ask you a question. Anybody ever watched the movie twice? Anybody ever seen Shrek more than once? Lion King. You know, Shrek, the first time you see it, it's hysterical. And, and it's good. But there's so much going on, you think you saw your movie until you watch it the second time and you see things you didn't see the first time. Because the first time you kind of got the overwhelming total experience, but the second time you begin to get details. And then you watch it the third time, you begin to hear things. And you're like, now I've watched this movie ten times, why am I still hearing new stuff? Because the mind continues to take things in. Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will never take it all in. You will never read it too many times. You'll never read it often enough. True story. Take one chapter, take one chapter, any chapter in the Bible, read it every day the rest of your life. It will change for you every day, and I can tell you why. Because every morning is fresh and new. Every day has its own battles. Every day has its own challenges. Every day has its own circumstances. Every day has its own victories. Every day has its own defeats. And every day that you wake up in this life, you need something different. And the exact same text can tell you something different every time you read it. So this time when you read through John, if you're not one that normally underlines and highlights, get you out a marker. Highlight some things. Underline some things. If you say it's a sin to write in your Bible, I'm going straight to hell. I'll go ahead and tell you that right now. Well, this one right here has got stuff all in it. It's not a sin to write in the Word of God. It's a sin to scribble in it and use it for a scratch pad. But it's not a sin to take things that God shows you and teaches you and highlight and underline that you can go back and make a reference. So I want you to ask God to show you something that you didn't see the last time you read John chapter 1. And we're going to do something together. Amen? Daniel chapter 1. Y'all have time to turn there that I take long enough? And you're like, Lord, he's never going to get through. I promise I will sometime today. Daniel chapter number 1. The Bible tells in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. He came unto Babylon and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, unto his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. The king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, and said that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science, such as had the ability in them to, to stand in the king's palace, whom they might teach, learning the tongue of the Chaldeans. In other words, who they might train, who they might change, who they might use modern society to alter their personalities alter what they believe in. The king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat. He sent them some T-bone steak. Some prime rib. He sent them the best that the king had and, and the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the Enoch gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested to the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and drink for why should he see your faces worse liking than the other children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel, Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenance be looked upon before thee, and if the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat, as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter, and Proved them ten days. At the end of the ten days, their countenance appeared fairer and fatter and fleshed than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine which they should drink and gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill, all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, the prince of the eunuchs, 
brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king communed with them. And of them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. Now all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. Daniel continued even until the first year of King Cyrus. I want to look at a message for just a few minutes this morning. If not now, then when? God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. Thank you for this precious book. Thank you for the wisdom. Thank you for the knowledge. Thank you for the promises. Thank you for the miracles. Thank you for the hope. Thank you for the instructions. Thank you for the guidance. Thank you for the leadership. Thank you for the power, God. Thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you take time to sit down and teach us one-on-one, that you alone can speak to everybody in this place this morning. Take one passage and divide it several hundred times, however you deem necessary, to make a point to everybody in this place. God, I pray, would you speak to each one of us individually this morning, God? It is our heart's desire to be pleasing to you. I ask you, Father, would you set all things aside, God, ban any Satan, any demon, any hindrance, anything in anybody's mind that would hinder this morning, God. I ask you to remove it from this place that you might move in here in a mighty way. We love you, God. You've been good to us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we, we live in a world today, honestly, it's no different than the day that Daniel lived in. Since, since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it, it's always been the same. The very first thing that happened we learned that Adam and Eve was cast out of the garden and that God blessed her and he gave her a man child named Cain then he blessed her again and she had his brother Abel and the very first thing that we see is that Cain kills his own brother we see a discrepancy it's just simply over jealousy in the days of Noah the word of God tells us that the heart of man was desperately wicked and thought of evil continually the the whole earth was full of violence and all of mankind had brought all of his wickedness and and that that the heart and the imagination the thoughts of men was only evil continually in the days of Noah God saw that the wickedness of man was great in all the earth and every imagination the thoughts of his heart was evil continually in the days of Lot it says that God sent two angels down to the city he came down he said he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and he says that the, the, the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous. The world hasn't changed and it never will. The world was wicked then. Ever since sin entered in, the world was wicked. The devil is always working and the devil knows that his time is very short. Listen, sin is not a generational thing. It's a human thing. It's not what one generation deals with. It's what everybody deals with. It's what everybody in this place, not the generation before, the generation after, just ours. Everybody deals with the sin thing. We live in a constant battle with the world. Somebody say amen. If the world ain't enough, we live in a constant battle with the flesh. We live in a constant battle with our own mind, with the things that are going on in our own world. And we live in a society that's trying to change our minds. We live in a society, you saw, that they took three years to try to change these four men, to give them a certain diet, to teach them the language and the ways of the Chaldeans, to try to change their personality. They came from a land that worshipped the one true and the living God. They wanted to try to change all that. So they said, out listen society today is doing a fantastic job of changing the minds of people moving the hearts of people softening the minds of even the Christian they do it with 30 second spot commercials every single day you might be watching something good you might be watching a ball game but the commercials are pathetic you say they're not changing me hogwash there ain't a person in here that ain't been sitting there enjoying a football game and a Dairy Queen commercial came on and you at least went to your own freezer and got out some ice cream a lot of us got up and rolled to Dairy Queen we ordered a pizza man that looks good go ahead and order one of them the problem is within the 30 second spot commercials you can't miss it if you pay attention there's two second plug-ins of violence there's two-second plug-ins of homosexuality. There's two-second plug-ins of perversion. And in that two seconds, it trains the mind to accept that, which is unacceptable. The world sees it, they watch it, and the mind is slowly being trained to accept what God calls perversion. They're, they're working to change society, and not just society, they're working to change the heart of the Christian. Philip was showing me something on Wednesday 
Honestly, I'd already seen the commercial about Little Demon, hadn't paid any attention to what it was. Katie and I were watching the Braves game, and it had come on, I think, where we saw it. And um, Philip brought it up, so I looked at it a little bit more. bothers me even more that it's owned by the company that's owned by Disney, that Disney would put this kind of garbage out. But he pointed some things out to me. This is supposed to be a cartoon. And in this cartoon, the father in the cartoon is Satan himself. And, and he has an affair with a woman who he gets pregnant. And then they have a daughter who is the Antichrist. And this is supposed to be a cartoon. Now, Dizzy defends themselves by saying, oh, it's not intended for children. Then why would you put it out? It's in, it is intended for adult entertainment. Hogwash. Let me just, one article says, along with the world of demons, witches, and sorcery, it says the minds of younger viewers will also be inundated with secular worldviews that reflect the current culture. It stops short of saying the homosexual content of this pathetic thing that they're putting out because they probably don't want to get in trouble for stepping over the line and going too far, but that's what it indulges in. So the problems that we face today are no different than they were in Daniel. The problem is no different than Sodom and Gomorrah. You know the things that were going on when, when they came in. You know that they tried to seek those men, men with men, women with women, working that which is unseemly. So, so the problem's no different. Culture is trying to, to train our minds to act and, and to think and to behave like the rest of the world. But we're not of this world. If you're a saved, born-again child of the living God, we're not of this world. We are in this world. But we're no longer of this world. Somebody ought to be thankful. Paul said there in 2 Corinthians that we're to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. We're not supposed to be what we used to be. We're supposed to be old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. We're supposed to be new creatures in Christ. There ought to be a difference. We, they sing about how we'll remember it. You remember the day you got saved. You remember the day before and the day after. There's a difference because the Holy Spirit of God moved in and changed some things. We spent the last three weeks looking at unity in the church. God's given us direction. He's given us a Bible to read together, daily prayer to pray together, things that we might be in one accord, that we might all pull together. Do you know why unity is so difficult? Because it's so against nature. We're all different. Everybody has a rub. Everybody has a circle and don't like people in their bubble. Your bubble may be bigger, it may be smaller, but... but it's so against nature to do everything in unity. It's against the flesh. It's against the world that we live in to, to pull together. But just like Daniel and his three friends, we can have a victorious life in a defeated world. We, we can live a positive life in a negative culture. We can be a light that shines in the darkness and makes a difference in, in the world around us. Daniel and his friends right here, they could have easily blended in with the rest of the young men. All they had to do was eat a T-bone. How hard is that? All they had to do was some prime rib baked potato. You're like, man, you're going to have to shut up or get out early, one of the two. All they had to do was eat the best food that the king had to offer, drink the best wine that came from the king's table. All they had to do was that, and, and, and they just they, they blend in. All they had to do is what comes natural to the flesh. All they had to do was what makes sense to the simple mind, and, and it meets our, our personal desires. But the Bible says that they had a heart to follow God. They weren't worried about personal desires. Had they blended in, nobody would have ever heard of them. Had they blended in, there would have never been a Daniel in the lion's den. There would have never been the power of God to shut the mouth of the lion. Had they blended in, there wouldn't have been a song last week about how he'll take you through the fire again. There wouldn't have been a, Dan a Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. There wouldn't have been a Nebuchadnezzar, greatest king on the planet at the time, to stand up and look and declare that the God of these three men is the God of the universe. He is the one that can do all things. He's the one that everybody ought to worship. He's the one that can deliver from the fire. He's the one you never would have had it had they just blended in. They would have just passed through time unnoticed, but because they just simply took a stand for God, we see something amazing. They didn't take a stand to be popular. They, they, didn't, they didn't take this stand to, to make history or, or to make a name for themselves. They simply wanted to please God. Anybody in here want to please God? They simply wanted to please God. Today is no different. God can and God will use anybody who is willing to take a stand on the things of God and not waver. 
Here's your clue. You will not take a stand for God and it not draw opposition. You will not take a stand for God and it not draw criticism because it stands out from the rest of the world. It doesn't buy in to the lies that the devil is telling. It doesn't bend to the commands of worldly things. It doesn't bow to the false gods of this world. So it's going to bring criticism. When, when you and I were saved, we, we became part of the family of God. At that moment, we were saved, washed in the blood. All of our sins were washed away. But, but more so, Jesus said that the Father would send you a comforter. At the moment we were saved, we were indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We were born again. It is the Spirit of God that is born in us when we become new creatures in Christ. We, we were saved to, to live a life pleasing to God. Why would we spend our lives trying to fit into a world that we don't belong to? Why would we spend our lives trying to blend into a world that honestly we no longer have a part with? Why would we spend our lives trying to blend into a world when we've been born again to stand out, to come out and to be separate, to be different? Daniel and his friends, they don't set out here to be famous. They just set out to follow God. It is God who made them famous simply because they refused to blend into the world. The question for us today is how blended are we? Mm -mm. I know the question for me. This, this can get all, how blended is the church as a whole into the world? Is the church still set apart? Is the church still held to a higher standard? Is the church still held to a place where we ought to be Christians, come out from the world, where we ought to act different, look different, speak different, talk different, do different, tell people about Christ? How blended in is the church in today's world? How blended are we personally in the workplace? How blended in are we at school? How blended in are we in our communities? Do our neighbors know what we stand for? Oh, they may know we get up and go to church most of the time on Sunday morning. But do they do? Do they know what we stand for? Do they know about Jesus Christ? If we're blended in, then how do we expect to make a difference? If we're blended into the world, how are we going to change the world around us? I said a lot of times, I call it casual Christianity. That's the world that we're living in. Casual Christianity is a lie. Casual Christianity says, well, you know, we just don't want to offend anybody. Well, you, you know, you, we, we, we just don't want to seem, we just don't seem too pushy. We don't mind being pushy about go dogs. Roll tied by the skin of your teeth, glory to God. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't mind being pushy about what we want to be pushy about. We don't mind arguing. I shouldn't even say this because I'm fixing to split the church right down the middle between Georgia and Auburn. Glory to God. Bless both of you, especially the dogs. We, we, we don't mind pushing what matters. Then why does we say we don't want to be pushy about Christ? Why do we mind pushing on somebody that's on their way to hell when we have what can get them out of hell and into the kingdom of God? Why do we not want to push them out of hell? Why do we not want to push them into the kingdom? Why do we not want to push them into the family? I don't know. I was all the way back to the question, how blended in are we? Daniel didn't crawl into the king's presence and beg for his life. Daniel walked in boldly. Daniel understood the power of his God. Daniel knew that Daniel couldn't do anything, especially interpret dreams. How are you going to tell a man what he dreamed and what it meant when you wasn't there sleeping with him? But he knew that God could. There's a lot of things you and I can't do, and we know that, but we know that God can. He, he knew that he was where he was on God's time. Some of you are in a bad place, a bad way. You wish you're out. You are where you are on God's time. God has a plan, and you're part of it. Daniel knew that he was where he was in God's plan, that God was doing something. And if God had a plan and Daniel is involved, that's good enough for Daniel. Wherever God has me, whatever God is doing, that's good enough for me. See, if we're willing to take a stand, God can and God will do great things, but because we're not trusting in our own understanding. All of us in here know we have no ability 
We're broken down, no good vessels. We're sinful creatures. We, we deserve to go to hell. It's only by the grace of God that we don't. We, we understand that, it, that it's God. But if we do what God says do, when we trust God, it's God that can do things through us. I read a quote, and it didn't give credit to who said it, so I can't give credit. But the quote says this, Boldness is behavior born out of belief. It's simply a belief that God is who he says he is. We get down to Daniel chapter 3. We have the story of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Three men who had the courage to stand when everyone else bowed. Six verses for you. Daniel chapter 3 verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it upon the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriff, all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Y'all understand everybody's in town. Everybody has to be here. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, all the rulers of the provinces were gathered unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. They stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a, then and herald cried aloud, To you it is what? Commanded, O people, nations, and languages. That means everybody. That at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worship shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. All the music played and everyone bowed down except all the rulers, all the, everybody, magistrates, everybody, important, unimportant, big, little, everybody bowed down except for three young men. Do you know how easy it would be to get away with bowing? Do you know how easy it would be for, for them to blend in? Do you know how easy it would be to explain it away as far as the world's concerned? Oh, it's easy to make excuses to the world. They'll buy into it. See, who's going to condemn them? Everybody else is bowed down. Who's going to notice them? Everybody else is bowed down. Who can bring charges against them? Who can make any accusations against them? Everybody else is bowed down. It would be so simple to simply blend in just like it would be today it would be so simple to blend in and go completely unnoticed just like it would be today but i can tell you who would have noticed god god would have known because god's still looking for the same thing today that he was looking for here in daniel chapter 3 and that is anybody that will stand when the world says bow God was looking for some people to stand in Daniel chapter 3. God is looking for somebody to stand in Daniel chapter 6. God, God is always looking for somebody that will stand. He was looking back in the days of Noah when the world was desperately wicked. God was looking for somebody to stand. The whole world was wicked. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. One man made a difference. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they heard the decree. They heard it loud and clear. They knew exactly what it was at stake. That they knew that, that what was waiting for them was a burning fire furnace if they did not bow, but they put their faith to the test. I read a quote about a month ago from D. Elton Trueblood. He said, faith is not belief without proof. It is trust without reservation. I've read this quote before. don't know who said it. Dale said he thinks it might be Adrian Rogers. He's at least heard Adrian Rogers say it. I don't know where it originated. I just know the quote says, a faith that has never been tested is a faith that can't be trusted. These three men, they put their faith to the test. And when they were brought before the king and said that they didn't bow, this is their answer. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer them in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not. Be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Can I tell you, life brings a lot of fiery trials. Life, every single day that we live, bring, brings all kinds of problems. Sickness, family sickness, um, loss of loved ones, 
persecution, ridicule from, from those around us. We, we deal with stuff, problems in the workplace, problems in the home. Have I got anybody yet? Anybody understand? Every day brings all kinds of possibilities. That means that every day is an opportunity to put our faith to the test. Every day we're going to face something. And every day is an opportunity to put our faith on display. There, there's some things here. I'm just going to give you three things. There's a lot. I'm going to give you three things for, for the sake of time. But things that we need to remember when our faith is being put to the test. Number one, you ready? Two people are ready. Wake up somebody. Anybody else ready? That's a few more. Obey God's directions, not man's expectations. Obey God's directions, not man's expectations. Nebuchadnezzar and everybody around them expected these three men to bow. Man's expectations was that everyone, including them, would bow. But God said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou, not, thou shalt not bow thyself down, down to any images. That's what God's word said. So that means God expected them to stand. Obey God's direction, not man's expectations. Number two, believe God in spite of what appears to be the facts. You know, sometimes things... Things seem like a pretty settled issue, right? I mean, it seems like a simple fact. I'm sure it did to them. If we don't bow down, we're going to be cast into the fiery furnace. That seems like a pretty good fact. Which also seems like if we don't bow down, we're going to be cast into the furnace. That means that we're going to perish. That means that today is the last day of their life. It seems to be a fact. But here's their solution. God said stand even when the world said bow. God said I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Not in the fire, not in the storm, not in the lion's den. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Matter of fact, here's what God says. If you'll stand for me, I'll stand for you. Be pretty big to know that God's standing beside you, wouldn't it? Be pretty big to know that, that, that God is standing on, on our side. Number three, their answer was, we don't just believe in God. We believe God. See, there's a big difference in believing in God. And believe in God. Daniel was found faithful because he stood for God. And God closed the mouths of the lion. And he was delivered from the lion's den. We see these three men that, that they stood for God because they believed God. And they're delivered from this, this burning fiery furnace. But because of that, we see Nebuchadnezzar the king saved over this. We see Nebuchadnezzar the king converted and makes a decree in the land. That nobody is to say anything negative about the God of these three men. So even Nebuchadnezzar is changed, but then his son Belshazzar comes along. Belshazzar says, no, nah, I got it all. I got it going on. I'm king around here. So he decides to stand on his own will and his own stuff and to stand on his own pride. The Bible says that he was measured by God and he came up short. There's a measuring day coming. There's a reckoning day coming. <clears throat> Chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords, drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar, y'all remember what we read in chapter 1, right? Had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem that the king, his princes, his wives, his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And the king, his princes, his wives, his concubines drank in them. Bad move. Verse number 4, they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver and of brass and of iron and of wood and of stone. That's an even worse move. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand, rode over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Verse 26, I'll skip down. This is what it says. The interpretation of thing, many, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Belshazzar bowed down to the standards of the world. He thought he could do whatever he wanted to and, and he'd get away with it, but, but he learned he was wrong. Today, every one of us is going to have to decide, what am I going to stand for? You'll stand for something or you'll fall for anything. Everybody has to make a choice to stand for God or to stand against God. There is no in-between. 
to not make a choice is to make a choice. You, you think you can avoid the choice, you can't. To avoid standing with God is to choose to stand against God. To, to avoid standing with God in the face of opposition is, is to, to choose to stand against God. A choice is a choice. The things that we do, the things that we don't do, the, those are the determining factors that, that shows what choices we've made. To, to ignore the choice is to simply choose the world, to choose the things around us. You know, the, the things that we watch on TV, the, the movies that we watch, the music that we listen to, the um, beverages that we choose to partake of, the vocabulary that, that we choose to use, we can justify any of that stuff by the worldly standards. It is very easy and in a casual Christianity world, it's very easy to get half the church to buy into it. It's easy to justify stuff. But let, let me ask you, let, let's just put it like this. If God was sitting in the den with us, would we still watch the same thing? If Jesus Christ was riding in the car, would you still listen to the same song? If you were having a conversation with the Son of God himself, would you still use the same four-letter adjectives that you use so frequently and nonchalant? Would you still use them? Because if they're not right in the presence of Jesus, then they're never right. But we live in a world where it's easy to write it off. Chapter 5 on down in verse 29, it says, Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck, made a proclamation concerning him that he should be third ruler in the kingdom. In that night was Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, slain. Darius the Median took up the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. He moves on to chapter 6, says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. Over these three presidents of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts to them and that the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Now you know the story. Because of the envy of others, they brought accusations. They had the king sign a very prideful decree. Daniel ends up in the lion's den on the king's decree that the king never wanted to throw him in. So we know that after Darius has been up all night long and nervous and anxious, chapter 6, verse 20, he ran down. It says that he came to the den. He cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel and the king and said, Daniel, oh Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? And then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocence he was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceeding glad for him, commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him, because he believed in his God. Everybody in this place will face your own lines then. Everybody in this place, we will face our own challenges. But what we see is that when Daniel maintained his integrity, it led to his promotion. See, Daniel throughout his life, he went through repeated challenges. Repeated uh, temptations, levels of compromise, but, but he didn't waver. The, the entire book of Daniel is basically this one simple question. Will we stand for God even when it's going to cost us something? Will we stand for God even when the world says that's a foolish decision? Will we stand for God in the face of opposition? Can I tell you, standing for God can cost you some things. Especially in the world we're in today. Standing for God can cost you your job. Standing for God in today's world can, can cost you a promotion. It, it can cost you some people who you thought were your friends. Stand, standing for God may, may bring some things, but, but here in chapter 6, we, we look and we see that, that the law of the land is against Daniel. Verse number 15 says that these men assembled to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that the law, the law, the law of the land, the Medes and the Persians, is that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the law of the land is against Daniel. The laws of nature are against Daniel. Verse 17, a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. What we see is an impossible situation for Daniel. 
that God specializes in impossible situations. Some of you feel like you are in an impossible situation. Congratulations. You've got to a place where God can show you something. Exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think. Call unto me and I will answer thee. I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. When we get to the impossible situation where we can't see a way out, we're just getting to the place where God can show us things that we never could imagine. So here's the question. Where will we stand? Ephesians tells us in chapter 6 to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We know that. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day having done all to stand. But because Daniel Stood, he was pulled up out of the lion's den, and all of his accusers and their entire families were thrown into the lion's den where the lions devoured all of them. Verse number 25 of chapter 6, Then Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. This is what happened because one man chose to take a stand. The king says, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, steadfast forever in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even to the end. He delivereth and rescueth. He worketh signs and wonders in heaven and earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign, in the reign of Darius, and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Will we take a stand? Will we take a stand in today's world in our own lives? Will we take a stand as a church? Will we do what it takes to stand in the face of opposition, be united as one, take a stand for the glory of God, knowing that Jesus Christ himself said that all things are possible to him that believeth? Will we take a stand just like these men did and said, no matter what, no matter what, God, if, if you bless me, I'm going to serve you. If persecution comes, I'm going to, boy, that's a mouthful, ain't it? That's a scary thought. If persecution comes, I'm going to stand for you. I'm not going to bend. I'm not going to bow. I'm not, now, that's really easy on a Sunday morning. I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm in your court. Really easy on Sunday morning to say, I'm not going to bend. I'm not going to bow. But Monday's coming. The storms of life is coming. The fire furnace is coming. The devil's coming. The challenge is coming. The temptation is coming. It takes a lot more than just on a Sunday morning amidst all brothers and sisters in Christ to say, hey, I'm going to stand. It boils down to in the heart, will we stand for the things of God? You know, it only takes one to make a difference, right? We see it throughout the Word of God. It only takes one to make a difference. But how many of you agree it's a lot easier to stand if you got somebody standing beside you? If you got one brother, one sister, if you got one on each side, but what about if we all stand together? What about if we're all united? What about if we all have each other's back? What about if we're all pulling in one accord? What about if we are together as one? Well, it's a whole lot easier to stand when we're united, amen? The question is, if we're going to stand for God, when are we going to do it? Now? I mean, now is as good a time as any. Agreed? We're in a bad situation. Anybody looked around? TV, government, politics, world, crime. I think now is as good a time as any, right? But, but, but if not now, when? Can, can I tell you there's nothing special about these men? Not one. They, they, were, they were conceived of a father, born in a mother's womb, came out just like you and I, grew up just like you and I. There's nothing special about these men. It's the choices they made that's special. And you and I have the same thing. Band, you guys come on up. I, I just, I know God's calling us together to be united as a church, to be united as one. But it's got to start, no different than last week, it's, it's got to start with the man in the mirror. I've got to deal with me. I'm the one got to be willing to take a stand. I just wonder this morning, are we willing to take a stand together? God's calling us to a level. Read his word together. 
pray together, pray for others together. Be a blessing to others each day. Text somebody, let them know that they matter. Just send them something encouraging. God's doing something. I'm excited to be a part of it. The question is, are we going to stand? I'm asking guys who would if you stand now. Coincidental, right? Sometimes it's hard to stand in the face of adversity, and everybody in here knows that. But we also know the importance of standing in the power of God. We know that God will always be enough. God's always been faithful. We sing it all the time. We talk about it all the time. He's always been faithful and he always will be. If I could ask you this morning, if you just bow your heads where you are, close your eyes just for a minute. I want to ask you first and foremost, is there anybody that you've never trusted Christ? And please, please don't walk out of this place without knowing that you know that Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior. Please don't walk out of here without knowing. I understand that we're all going to live forever. I get it. I understand that we're all going to grow old and we're going to live to be in the hundreds and we're never going to get sick, we're never going to die. I get it. That's the mentality, but every one of us knows the reality. That's not true. It it takes one mishap driving out of this church and everything can stop today. Life is but a vapor and it's all in, but eternity is forever. And eternity is going to be based on the decision that we make during this vapor of a life. Did I trust Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior? Um, please, if you've never trusted Christ, don't walk out of here without it. Don't, don't continue to, to put your eternity at stake. Uh, it, it's so simple. Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross, shed his blood to pay the debt of sin, that he might offer it freely. It is the free gift of God. It requires no works on our part. All it takes is, Father, I am a sinner. I'm asking you to forgive me of all my sins, cleanse my soul, Save my soul. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Make me a child of God. I just want to be saved. And you ask those prayers in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is faithful to save our soul because of the blood of the Lamb. Amen. I want to ask you real quick if any of you just want to come pray. These guys are going to sing at least part of a song. I know, I know we're out of time. Time is time, but I want—I don't want to—I don't want to not give you an opportunity to pray. If you want to pray right where you're at, if you want to come to the altar, it's God help me to stand. Some of you are facing ridicule at work now. Some of you are facing ridicule in the job with persecution. Some of you are facing opposition. Some of you are facing things in your communities, and, and you know you need the strength of God. Some of you need a miracle. Some of you need a medical miracle. Some of you need financial miracles. Some of you just need something. I don't want to deprive you of a chance to pray. Altar's always open. You can pray where you are. Go ahead, Greg.